Welcome to Bible Study. It's another opportunity for us to share the good news from the Bible with you. And thank you for being with us and tuning in with us today. I would like to go um, straight on uh, the subject because it's a great uh, Bible study today. But I would like to just uh, welcome again the panel and uh, thank them for uh, taking time to come with us on the radio and share uh, the good news with all of us. Thank you, Helen, for coming today again. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks, Nick. And Lija, thank you for coming. Good to be here. And thank you, Len, always uh, prepared and uh, ready to guide us through. And thank you for uh, leading today again. Hi, listeners. We have recently been studying the issues around the theme Preparation for the End Time. This week we're dealing with something that has been the subject of much discussion through the years and we hope to give you a clearer understanding about what actually is the mark of the beast and the seal of God. And if you've been following these Bible studies on air, you must realise that there are two beasts, that is, powers, mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 13. The first is a power that is the successor of the Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Greek and Roman empires. The first beast has been identified as the papacy or the Roman Catholic Church system acting under the control and authority of satanic influences. The mark of the beast is to do with this very same power. The title of this week's study indicates two opposites, contrasts. On one hand is the seal of God, and on the other is the mark of the beast. Is the mark of the beast a tattoo, a credit card number, a barcode, or a microchip embedded under the skin? And what is the seal of God? Today you will hear what the Bible says about these subjects so stay tuned. Thank you, Len. That's a very important topic that we're discussing today. So I think before we start, listeners, let's just have a word of prayer. It's important that we have the Holy Spirit enlighten us as we go through the word. Loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful that we can study your word. And Lord, we need to study it in truth. Father, we can't do this on our own. We need the interpretation from the Holy Spirit that the words that come from our mouth today will be pleasing to you. Mm -hmm. I pray for wisdom, Father, as we discuss these important topics, and I pray that everyone listening, that their hearts will be in tune with you, Lord, ready to stand for the truth. Mm -hmm. I pray these things through the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, the first thing we're going to look at today is the seal of God. What was one of the signs by which God's people were identified. Well, let me read from Genesis, the book of Genesis, chapter 17, 9 to 11, right back there at the beginning. It says, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is the covenant which he shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. So they were going to be identified 
by circumcision because that was a, a um, practice that was going to separate God's people from the heathen neighbours around about. And in Abraham's day, this was essential to develop a people that were purely worshipping a true God. All right, thank you. Lydia, there was a second sign. And what was the second sign by which God's people were identified? If we read in Exodus chapter 31, verse 13 and 17, we can identify the, the second sign. And it says like this, You must observe the Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. And in verse 17, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he abstained from work and rested. So there were these two signs, circumcision and Sabbath keeping. And if you could go back in a time machine, back to those days, you would find that the Israelites kept the Sabbath, which Lydia just read, shall be kept forever. And those people would have been circumcised as well. Helen, would you mind to read Ezekiel chapter 20 and two verses, verse 12 and verse 20, and uh, just tell us what that says. Okay, here we are, Ezekiel 20, verse 12 says, Moreover also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified thee. And verse 20 reads, And hallow my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. It's interesting that this was repeated twice, that the keeping of the Sabbath is a sign of God's true people. But you is physical circumcision necessary today? No, I don't think it's necessary today. I would like to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with verse 19. And it says, Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commandments is what counts. So I believe that this ritual had a deeper significance and uh, was meant to symbolize the need for circumcision or renewal of the heart. So circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter. And actually, Paul says that circumcision is no longer important and that it is faith working through love and keeping the commandments of God that really matter in our days. Yeah, of course, some people still have their male children circumcised, mm -hmm. and there's probably a very good reason for that. There's less opportunity for infection. Yes. And so, but it's not necessary in these times for children to be circumcised. I was actually very, let's say, surprised that when I gave birth to my uh, sons, the doctor, one of the doctors asked me if I would like my boys to be circumcised. And I, w I was really surprised and I said, it is necessary. And he said, yes, some people uh, love the, uh, their sons to be circumcised. And uh, as you said, I think it's a matter of hygiene. Yes, well, we have three boys and all of them were circumcised. Well, you know, Lydia referred to something there, Helen, 
about circumcision of the heart and this is an expression we find in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6. Would you like to read that verse and comment? Thank you. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. So here we have um, here again the circumcision of the heart that we will love, respect and obey God completely with all our heart. So just as circumcision was a sign of the people were belonging and committed to God, what this particular verse is saying, that we as people need the circumcision of the heart. In other words, we need to identify with, to God rather by our attitude and our commitment. Circumcision is no longer necessary, according to the Apostle, the Apostle Paul, and he's written about that in many places. But um, what has circumcision been replaced with? That is the question, or has it been replaced with anything? What does Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 have to say? All right, uh, I can read this uh, text, Len. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, now there's another verse, and we haven't actually said what the replacement is in Ephesians 4 and verse 30. Has anybody got that? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Aha. So the replacement of circumcision, if you like, the New Testament says it is the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that work? Okay, uh, we are going to talk today uh, about some um, differences in between the people of God and those people who don't follow God. God always wants to make sure that uh, his people are recognized. And that was the case, as was mentioned until, uh, I mean, earlier about circumcision. It was a good thing which God uh, enforced at that, at that time. Mm. But I've been asked just uh, this past week about baptism and why baptism is necessarily. A lady asked me, it's okay to be baptized again because she was baptized as a baby, but she wants to recommit herself to God to be baptized. Now, I said, you see, baptism, it's again a public declaration mm -hmm. that you decided to follow God when you are understanding what God is requiring from you. When you're a baby, you don't understand what to do. But that's why today baptism, it's a very important thing. You know, it's a, it's a seal of God, if you like. And the Holy Spirit, when Jesus was baptized himself, that was the sign from God, which the Holy Spirit come in the form of a dove. And God declared, this is my beloved son. Leju, you wanted to comment there too? Yes, I want to comment also that saying that the seal of God is a whole process in our lives that involves the work of the Holy Spirit 
confirming that we trusted the word of truth. Uh, this means that the seal is not a magical or arbitrary badge. As Nick says, uh, said in regard to the circumcision or baptism, the seal of God is a sign of the covenant between God and his people. But this sign uh, reflects an internal state of holiness and relates to the life of faith. The, the sign is seen in the hearts of God's people, in the in intimacy of their thoughts and sentiments. It speaks about their love for God. It is also seen in the dynamic of their actions, which express the genuineness of their uh, responses to God. Also, the seal of God is a sign of God's ownership and protection of his people. Paul describes a sealing in connection with conversion and uh, reception of the gift of the Holy Spirit. He calls this gift a deposit or down payment given to all believers as an assurance of the complete redemption and uh, a future inheritance they will receive when Jesus comes. The seal also marks those who recognize God as their creator, those who belong to him. To be sealed by God means that we and everything we have and are belongs to him, the one who created everything. So really what that means is that the life of a Christian, of a true Christian, should be filled with the Holy Spirit and it should be possible to observe the fact that that person is one of God's people because of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Yes, I guess, Len, you could say that comes back to your baptism that Nick was mentioning before, that it's an outward declaration of an inward change yeah. as mm. God takes over your life. All right. Now, if you look in the dictionary and you look up the word seal, you've got these uh, seals that come out of the water and eat fish and go, ah, ah, and so on. But a seal has other uh, meanings. I want to tell you a little story about the use of a seal and what it signifies. When I was a child, we lived probably about 120, 150 metres away from the local post office. There were only a few houses in the village, and it was often my responsibility to go across to the post office and to get the mail and also to deliver mail from our home, that is, not to live for the whole village. <laughs> Anyhow, I watched with interest when the mail was ready for the mail van to take that mail into a big town that was probably about 30 kilometres away. What happened? First, the postmaster or the postmistress would round the neck of the mail bag, which was usually a canvas bag, tie some some string, some fairly strong string. And then she had a uh, thing that looked a bit like a big crayon and she would light it and drip some of the wax down onto that string. And then she would get a little stamp kind of thing. I don't mean a paper stamp, but a, a thing that looked a bit like an upside down chisel with some uh, shapes on it and she would push that into the hot wax and that would leave an impression. 
that was to guarantee that the mail that was in that bag was safe. It was to show that it was authorised by the Australian government to reach the destination where it was going. So the seal of God shows that God's authority and God's protection are on people, yeah. the people of God. So as you said, Len, I want to explain a little bit for the listeners um, what is a seal means. Um, so it's like a signature. Something uh, like that, yeah, yes. A seal is used to validate a document, even in our days. Mm. Uh, in ancient times, uh, it was a stamp pressed onto soft wax or clay to show uh, authenticity or ownership having the authority of its owner behind it. Even mm. the kings in our days, uh, right. in some countries, they use their uh, ring that has a seal on it and they just press it on a wax to seal it yeah. as their authenticity. Now, Helen, in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 3 and Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1, which I hope you'll read in a minute, it gives us the elements of a seal of God and where that seal is to be found. Would you like to read those verses and comment please? Okay, Revelation 7 verse 3 says saying, hurt not the earth neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. And 14.1 says, and I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion and with him an hundred forty and four thousand having his father's name written in their foreheads. So really it's saying here the name of Christ and of the Father written in, in our foreheads or in our minds, you know, the intelligent part, the part where we make decision and those in the medical profession would say the frontal lobe where we make a decision. So that decision, of course, a baby can't make it, but as you get older and you get more mature and you learn about these, you can make decisions. And I believe that's that's the seal of God. We accept him into our life. We want to follow him completely, and the Father will seal or put a seal that the angels, by the way, can see. We can't see it on people, although we can see by their actions, but we won't physically see the seal or that mark of the beast either, but the angels can see it. And also I'd like to add that uh, we have to keep in mind that um, there is a great controversy in between God and evil. Absolutely. And uh, why it's important then, because we sometimes we ask why it's important to know about those seals, why? I mean, we serve in God and that's it. But now some people give allegiance to a different master. And that's what we need to make clear in our own life. Who do we serve? Are we serving God or are we serving the serving the enemy? And that's why in today Bible study we're trying to see how important it is to identify on which side are we. And the most important thing, Nick, of course, is that we study. We study into the Word under the influence of the Holy Spirit that we can know these things. The important thing, of course, here is that the name of the Father and the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, are written on their foreheads, or in other words, as Helen has just explained, written in their minds that God's people will honour the Father 
and the Son. Can I just add there, Len, that it is really only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can accomplish that, isn't That's it? That's true. That's true. And we kind of mentioned that yes. before. Lydia, what would you like to say about this? Yes. The seal is given to true worshippers of God, while the mark is given to worshippers of the beast. The seal is given only on the forehead, indicating a definite choice of the mind to worship God in the way that he has commanded. The mark, on the other hand, is given either on the forehead or on the hand. Helen, where else will you find the name of God and his title? Well, I'd like to refer you back to Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. And um, it's, this is right in the middle here in this, this chapter. And it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, whereof the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So in answer to your question, it is found in the commandments. It is the Sabbath commandment, which of course begins with remember. Yeah. You know, don't get the idea, listeners, that the seal is given so that God's people will do those things that he commands and he wants. The seal is given that they have already made their commitment. So the seal is not some magic potion that suddenly causes God's people to obey him. No, because God's people obey and love him already, the seal is given at that point or because of that, I should say. Can I just add a little note that I've got here? It says, God's blessing upon the Sabbath is his presence in the Sabbath. He who keeps the Sabbath has God's presence in the heart, and all who have his presence will delight to keep the Sabbath. Okay, now in the book of Revelation, which um, we've been dealing with quite a bit, he talks about God's people at the end times. And Revelation 14 verse 12 says, This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. The saints are God's people, and this is what it says about them, who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus, or have the faith of Jesus, some uh, versions put it. So God's people, according to this verse, are people who obey him and who accept the sacrifice of Jesus on their behalf. Well, you were talking about the um, fact that God's name and title is given in the Sabbath commandment. We can quite happily conclude that Sabbath-keeping, which is a part of obeying God, is part of the seal of God. What would you say about that, Helen? I would agree wholeheartedly, Len, yes. The Sabbath is a true day of worship because God instituted it, and like the rest of the commandments, it is never ever been changed no. but there are two aspects of the seal of God there's the Holy Spirit in one's life and honouring God by keeping the true Sabbath along with the other nine commandments Nick what's your opinion about the seal of God belonging to those who worship on the false Sabbath the Sunday yet who claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit 
Len, uh, just before I will answer that question, I would like to just uh, add a little bit more on that aspect of uh, keeping Sabbath. Because there will be many people who will say, oh, yeah, I keep the Sabbath and I worship uh, God on the Sabbath day. And that Sabbath may be on a different day, mm-hmm. as the Bible puts it. And that's why it's very important to identify God's Sabbath. Yeah. Because, uh, for example, if we, as Helen pointed out from the fourth commandment, when um, God uh, also bring to attention that he's the creator. And if we go back in Genesis, after the sixth day, God looked and said everything was good and he rested for all his work. Now it's important to notice, God did not bless the act of resting. He blessed the day itself. That's a very important thing because many people will say, yeah, I worship God and I keep the Sabbath which uh, a lot of people say it doesn't matter which day as long as you rest in the Lord. But actually he has very clear for us that God blessed the day. Now coming back then to the the question which you just um, asked. Can I just read a a verse in uh, John chapter 16 and verse 13? However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. Did you notice something in this verse? Something very important. It says that he will guide you into all all truth. truth. And I believe here it rests, you know, what the question which you just asked, you know, we need to worship God in the whole truth. You cannot just uh, say, I have the Holy Spirit and not do the commandments of God. Mm. How can you have the Holy Spirit and not to do the commandments of God? Absolutely. Ledger, would you read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, where it talks about a Sabbath rest Yes, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. And in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of of God. So what then is the significance of this Sabbath rest that's spoken of in Hebrews? The significance of the Sabbath rest is that first of all God rested after creation and as it says in Ephesians another significance is that salvation is obtainable only when we rest from our own efforts to obtain it because salvation is only a gift of God. Can I just bring something to attention again here? Uh, Two important things. God rested after his creation and which we understand that everything was created, created to Jesus Christ, you know, and after he created all things, he rested. And he rested after the completeness of the restoration. And that was when Jesus was on the cross 
on Friday, he said, it is finished. Mm. He completed his plan of salvation, if you like, and he rested on the Sabbath day. Now, that's why in uh, Hebrew we are asked to do likewise. I mean, to rest in the Lord and to fulfill his commandments. Helen, talking a bit about Sabbath here, but I believe it's important because it's one of the identifying signs of God's people, the people who God seals. What does the Sabbath commemorate? Well, I go back to the text that I read a, a little while ago in Exodus uh, 20.11. It says, In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. And um, that's the first part of that verse. And it shows us that God is our wonderful creator. So the Sabbath it commemorates creation. But also in Deuteronomy 5.15, I read the words, And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out, thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. So we here we see, not only back in Exodus, wonderful creator God, we also see the Redeemer. So I believe it's, it's a commemoration, as Nick was pointing out before also, that we are commemorating the fact that God created all things. He is our creator. And as his creatures, we can love him, acknowledge him, and accept his redemption. So it's also signifying... Um, the redemption that came through Christ at the cross. Okay, very well said. Nick, I think we've mentioned this on air before, but it might pay to say it again. What will be or is the key world issue in the end times? I mean, as you mentioned, Lynn, yeah, we, we touched on this uh, a little bit already, but worship is the key issue. Yeah. And why is worship the key issue in the end time? Because God is prompting us and asking us to worship the true God. If you love me, you keep my commandments. That's a form of worship. But also the beast will ask for some sort of worship. And he will even give authority, you know, to we learn in, uh, in previous uh, Bible studies that he will um, give authority to the uh, image. It's important that we identify, I'm saying this again, the power of this world in contrast with the will of God because there are so many people who don't know that they are worshipping an authority rather than worshipping the true God. Mm. Well, praise God that people have a chance now, even by listening to this discussion today, to understand and to learn and therefore make a, um, a wise decision as to who we're going to give allegiance to in the end of time. Yeah. We must remember that the Bible is God's book. God inspired this book and he can tell the future. And the issue in the end times is not going to be lack of water, lack of food, overpopulation, pollution, and so on and so on. It's going to be an issue of worship, as Nick very nicely pointed out. And just uh, well, uh, to continue on this, uh, you know, the majority of the Christian in this world, they worship in a different day. And you know what? The authority which instituted that day recognizes, as you just uh, pointed out, Lane, a bit earlier, that they have the authority. With their authority, 
people are worshipping on the false day. Mm. But most people, um, Nikki will agree, that do worship on another day, most people aren't even aware of that. I wasn't aware of it. I was a Sunday keeper for many, many years. I was brought up as a Sunday keeper. And I didn't know that that wasn't the right day. And it wasn't until um, through study of the Word and um, the Holy Spirit enlightening me on that that I came to discover that I was actually worshipping on the wrong day. Mm. At that point, I then had to make a decision. And, of course, my decision was to give my allegiance to to um, to God and keep his true Sabbath. So I think there are many people, Nick, that keep it, but don't don't um, realize at this stage that they're actually worshipping on the wrong day. Yeah. Okay. Ledger, what would you like to say? So, as we have seen, the seventh-day Sabbath has been a sign of God's true people throughout entire history beginning with Adam and Eve and continuing during the time of Israel. We also see it perpetuated in the New Testament church with the practice of Jesus and the apostles and uh, as a distinguishing sign of God's last day people who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Okay, well we're going to change gear now. We've been talking about the seal of God so far. And now we're going to consider the other aspect, the mark of the beast. Helen, could you tell us what the difference is between a seal and a mark? Yeah, some people can say they're, they're one and the same, but if you look at it, a seal shows ownership, protection and authority, whereas a mark is more like a logo. It shows where it's from. For example, the badges on a car, that right. sort of thing. Right. Okay, now the mark of the beast. Many people understand this expression. Uh, what is the beast power that this is actually talking about? You'll find the answer in Revelation verse 13, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Uh, in Revelation 13, verse 1 and 2, it says, And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The name, the beast, I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. We could go into this quite a bit more, and we talked about this last week. So what is this beast power? I think it's the papacy. Papacy? What does papacy mean? Something to do with paper? No, it's the um, head of, um, of the church, the Pope. All right, it's the Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church system, yeah. if system, you like. Yeah. Revelation 13, you've still got that chapter there, I guess, uh, Ledger. Would you mind reading verses 6 to 8? And I want to ask this question before you read it. Is this power sympathetic or hostile towards God's people, that is, the saints? So yes. what does it say? I want to read a, a verse before, verse 5. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place 
and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. So is this a friendly or a hostile power as far as God's people are concerned? As I read, it looks like it's a very hostile power Yeah, I mean, I mean to, towards God's people, the saints. History proves that. If we just uh, like to mention that uh, under the sword of the holy church to say so so many people were put to death during the inquisition during the you know dark ages and uh, amazingly enough that the head of this church came to say sorry for the things they've done which they recognize the thing now the question is has the beast changed because this this is the the most important thing because it may appear in some uh, in some aspects that uh, they're doing different things, but actually the the whole ideology and the whole direction of the, this beast, it's against God's people. And it's very important to notice, as uh, the Bible puts it in, in Revelation, come out of Babylon, mm. my people. And here is the question which lays on each one of us and our listeners. We are called to make a decision now to be able to receive the seal of God rather than the mark of the beast. Mm. So, Nick, you think that history will be repeated? Absolutely, Helen. I think history is being repeated. I think nothing has changed. Something's gone a bit quiet for a while, Mm. but I think it's all there as it was. I certainly know this. You mentioned the ideology or the um, doctrines or creed, if you wish, of the Roman Catholic Church. That has not changed. That's definitely the same. Helen? In Revelation chapter 13, which we're looking at at the moment, verses 16 and 17, is the mark of the beast given in a voluntary or a compulsory manner? Well, let me read those texts to you. Revelation 13, 16 and 17 says, And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name it's interesting if you look at that first part he causes what does that mean well i believe it means that he commands or he enforced or he compels so in answer to your question i do not believe it's voluntary i believe it will be compulsory yes and it says in my bible he forced mm-hmm. everyone small and great so on and so on now You read it, but um, we need to highlight this. Where is the mark of the beast highlighted? Uh, Not highlighted, located. The last part of Revelation um, that I was just reading, verse 13, in, in chapter 13, sorry, verse 16, it says here to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Okay, so... Nick, uh, what is the significance of the location of this mark? All right, I mean, as was pointed out, um, the seal of God, it's on the forehead of his people. The mark of the beast, it's on the forehead or on the arm. Why is the difference there? 
I mean, on what the in, on the hand? Because there are people who openly follow the teachings and the doctrines, as was mentioned here, of this power. But there are people who opposed that, and, and I'm talking here about the Protestantism. Many churches of Protestant world will uh, say that they are opposing the papacy, but they will still do things which the, uh, this uh, power ask the Christian to do. For example, worshipping, and worshipping on the false day. The majority of the Christian are worshipping on the wrong day, the false Sabbath. And it's interesting that uh, the head of this church asked these people to come back home to the mother church, you rebellious daughters. <laughs> Why? Because how can you say that you are against this power and still do what they ask you to do? And yeah. that's what I believe, Len, uh, it's important that um, this mark of the beast is not only on the forehead, but it's also on the hand. Yeah. Yes, Legi. The mark of the beast is located on the forehead or on the right hand, as it says in Revelation thirteen sixteen. Why on the forehead? Because the forehead represents our mind. It's the center of our thinking, intelligence, and judgment, where choices and decisions takes place. So the mark, on the other hand, has given either on a forehead or on the hand. This means that people may worship the beast for one of two or two reasons. Either in their minds they agree with, thinking that they are truly worshiping God, or they don't agree with it, but they go along, along with it because they are afraid of the serious consequences of not confirming, right. being unable to buy or sell, or uh, and eventually being killed. If I just read quickly a verse in uh, Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse 10, which says this, Whatever you had find to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom into the grave where you are going. You see, again, into the, in our minds is the battle, and we need to take decisions there. And that's why um, it's important that people recognize that even if they would like to accept it or not, they're still taking decisions, for the good or for the bad. I mean, to worship God or to worship the false uh, power of this world. I said earlier in the program what some people regard the mark of the beast as being. Some think it's a credit card, some think it's a microchip, some think it's a tattoo, and so on and so on. Helen, what is the mark of the beast? Right, I think that's all what we're really waiting to hear, isn't it? Daniel yeah. 7.25, great prophetic book. It says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time times and the dividing of times. What I'd like to, to actually mention here is that the papacy unashamedly claims to have changed the day of worship from the seventh day of the week to the first day Sunday. So I believe that Sunday worship is the mark of the beast, and there are lots of references to that. I think you might even have one. I do, and I'm going to share okay. some of these with your listeners. I have a number of quotes from um, Roman Catholic uh, 
doctrines and authorities and writings and so on. And this will take a few minutes. The first one's from the Converts Catechism of Catholic Doctrine. Question. Which is the Sabbath day? Answer. Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question. Why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer. We observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Another quote. Chancellor Albert Smith says this. If Protestants would follow the Bible, they should worship God on the Sabbath day. By God is Saturday. In keeping the Sunday, they are following a law of the Catholic Church. A few more to go. This one is uh, from the Catholic uh, newspaper, the Sunday Visitor, our Sunday Visitor, says this. The letters inscribed in the Pope's mitre are these, Vicarius Filii Dei, which is Latin for the Vicar of God. That one's a little bit off what we're talking about now, but it's important a little bit later. And then, of course, uh, there's a letter from C.F. Thomas, Chancellor of Cardinal Gibbons. Of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act. Now, listen to this, listeners. This is from the own Catholic writings. I'll read that again. Of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act. And the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. Another one from a book. That was interesting terminology. Yeah. The Faith of Millions. This is what it says. But since Saturday, not Sunday, is specified in the Bible, isn't it curious that non-Catholics who claim to take their religion directly from the Bible and not from the church observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Nick was talking about this earlier. Yes, of course, it is inconsistent. But this change was made about 15 centuries before Protestantism was born, and by that time the custom was universally observed. They have continued the custom, even though it rests upon the authority of the Catholic Church and not upon the explicit text in the Bible. That observance remains as a reminder of the Mother Church, from which the non-Catholic sects broke away like a boy running away from home but still carrying in his pocket a picture of his mother or a lock of her hair. Two more. This is from the Catholic Mirror. It says this, The Catholic Church, for over 1,000 years before the existence of a Protestant, by virtue of her divine mission, changed the day from Saturday to Sunday. The Adventists are the only body of Christians with the Bible as their teacher who can find no warrant in its pages for a change of day from the 7th to the 1st, hence their appellation Seventh-day Adventist. From a Catholic priest, T. Enright, says, I have repeatedly offered $1,000 to anyone who can furnish any proof from the Bible that Sunday is the day we are bound to keep. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, but the Catholic Church says, no, keep the first day of the week, and the whole world bows in obedience. And now, the clincher of them all. This is from the Catholic Record. It says, the Catholic Church is above the Bible. And this transference of the Sabbath observance 
is proof of that fact. Helen, in Revelation 13:18, there is a specific identifying clue as to who the beast is. Would you read that, please? Sure will. It says, Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I think most people even today know that the number 666 is the devil's number. And we can actually apply that number to the title of the Pope. But let me just warn here, because we could actually probably do this with several others as well. Of course. But this is one of the identifying marks. And if you look at the, the Pope's title, Vicari Visfili Dei, and you use Roman uh, numbering system, you will find that it actually adds up to 666. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. And also, if you like to just um, know what that means, that title, that mm-hmm. name, um, you know, comes from the Latin world, and you'll you'll know in in English probably you'll explain better. But even in uh, in the Latin, it says the the Vicar of Christ on Earth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Nick, in Revelation sixteen verse two. It talks about the people who receive the mark of the beast and what happens to them. What What is it? Probably it would be just good to read that uh, text. Uh, who's got the Revelation uh, uh, 16 verse 2? Yeah, I can read. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. You see, the results are suffering and pain. And it's not only only temporarily uh, suffering and, you know, it's eternal. Well, we're coming to that. Helen's going to read the (laughs) supporting verses. Okay. All right. Let's do that and then we can probably come to um, to some remarks. Helen? Okay. So, Revelation 14, 9 and 10a, it says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Well, i got to tell you, if you start studying into that, I, I think I would um, rather receive the wrath of man than the wrath of God, mm. um, because that's what's going to happen, isn't it? They will yeah. receive God's wrath and suffer eternal punishment, which, of course, will be eternal separation from our wonderful God. So those who receive the mark of the beast will be punished through the plagues and they will also be punished and they will receive eternal death. I think there's an important little word in that verse 9, Len, where it says, if, if any man. So this is conditional. We have the choice. Mm -hmm. We have the choice. Yeah. Ledger, you want to share something with us? Yes, receiving the uh, undiluted wrath of God, being punished by the seven last plagues and in the end being cast into the lake of fire. All of these things happen to those who bear the mark of the beast. What a contrast to those who refuse the mark of the beast and stand on the sea of glass triumphantly singing praise to God and the Lamb. What is this mark that no one would want to receive? Clearly, the above verse is connected with false worship. 
All right, now, just in summary, we're going to look at the differences between the seal of God and the mark of the beast. So, first of all, where the seal of God was placed was on the foreheads. Where's the mark of the beast placed? Foreheads and right hands. Right. The seal of God identifies those who worship him in truth. What does the mark of the beast identify? False worship. Yes, people who have false worship. Seal of God is given to God's faithful people. Who's the mark of the beast given to? To the followers of the enemy, the evil one. Yeah, followers of the devil through this beast power that we've been talking about. The seal of God protects from God's wrath. What does the mark of beast provide? No protection. No at protection all. at all. They're going to receive punishment. The seal of God, the people who have the seal of God, will receive eternal life. What about the people who have the mark of the beast? Sadly, they'll receive eternal death. Eternal death and punishment. The seal of God identifies those who trusted God. How does the mark of the, or I mean, what does the mark of the beast identifies people as? Identifies those who trusted uh, more uh, earthly power, like the papacy in the case we, we just talked today. Yeah. Lastly, the seal of God identifies people who keep the Sabbath. What does the mark of the beast identify them as? Those who keep the, the false day, false Sabbath worshippers. Right. Ledger, you've got some concluding remarks to read to us. Would you like to do that, please? Yes. The Sabbath will be the great test of loyalty, for it is the point of truth, especially controverted, when the final test shall be brought to bear upon man, then the line of distinction will be drawn between those who serve God and those who serve him not. While the observance of the false Sabbath in compliance with the law of the state contrary to the fourth judgment will be an avowal of allegiance to a power that is in opposition to God, the keeping of the true Sabbath in obedience to God's law is an evidence of loyalty to the Creator. While one class, by accepting the sign of submission to earthly power, receives the mark of the beast, the other, choosing the token of allegiance to divine authority, receives the seal of God. Just before we close, I would like to just uh, thank the panel again for this uh, discussion. And I would like to share with you just a very brief story in my family. My eldest brother asked me many times why he cannot keep the Sabbath as I keep it. Now, just to mention that my brother is an Orthodox and he worship uh, God on Sunday. And he said, why I cannot keep Sabbath in the way you do? And God inspired me, I believe, to share with him this. Because God have not blessed and sanctified the first day of the week, but he blessed and sanctified the seventh day of the week. Just think of that. And uh, if you like to know more about these things which we share with you today, please don't hesitate and contact us. I will encourage each one of you to search the Bible 
and find out the truth for yourselves. May God bless you.